Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. The first lesson this morning comes from the prophecy of the book of Micah in the Old Testament. Let us listen that we may hear what God will share with us. Hear what the Lord says. Rise, plead your case before the mountains, let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the controversy of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a controversy with his people. He will contend with Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And what have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now what King Balak of Moab devised, what Balaam, son of Behor, answered him and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil, Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Thanks be to God. The second lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, and it begins the section that is called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus laid plain many of his teachings. Now, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all have a variety of teachings of them, but maybe none of them are as uh, striking or as well-known as the Beatitudes, these first 12 verses of uh, Matthew's Fifth chapter. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. 
For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. So today we're coming to the conclusion, the conclusion of worship at 10 o'clock, but also the conclusion of the sermon series for this period of time, A Christian's Toolbox. A toolbox, as you know, is a place where we collect implements of various kinds to do various things. It's very common when we think of a toolbox that we have around our house, we will have a hammer or a screwdriver, a pair of pliers, a tape measure. Sometimes you'll find a level in a pretty basic uh, toolbox. Um, the hammer provides us force that we can use to drive nails. The screwdriver amplifies the ability or the strength that we hold in our arms to, uh, so that it, the screw grabs the, the piece of uh, wood or the substance it's holding. Um, pliers allow us to have additional strength in our hands so that we can twist and open things that we would not otherwise do. The tape measure lets us measure distances for particular task, and the level provides the orientation. Are we right, are we set right in, in relationship to the horizon or uh, perpendicular uh, as it is? So they're all useful things. While we all have maybe some of these items, we might not have all of them. Um, but if we don't have all of them, we know people who do. We know who to call uh, to help hang a picture or to uh, set up a, a situation. Um, now, there are other of us, others of us, who might have not simply those basic tools, but they have a whole lot more tools. They might even have a whole room of tools or a whole vehicle with tools. And they have power connected to them, you know, power saws and... Uh, drills and things that, that help us do even more things. So our toolbox can be very, uh, have lots of different things in it, but the, the idea is that there are some basic things we use and, and hold on to. As Christians, we have a toolbox in our faith as well. What we've covered over the last several weeks has been some basic elements. The Apostles' Creed, which speaks about the Trinitarian faith. The Ten Commandments, which provide an orientation for our relationship to God and to other people. The Lord's Prayer, which Jesus gave to his disciples as a template on how we are to pray. And today we'll be looking at the teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount that we call the Beatitudes. In the Beatitudes, Jesus talked about blessing. Blessed are. Blessed are those who. Blessed are you who are. All of these characteristics. In our society, we have gotten really pretty casual about saying blessings. If you sneeze, it is likely that somebody will say, bless you. It might be even in a public forum where you don't know anybody. That happened to me recently. I was... I was at a, in a waiting room and I sneezed, and from across the waiting room, somebody said, bless you. That's a nice, you know, it's a nice thing to say, um, to, to have that uh, come down to you. But 
blessing is more than simply a, a nice thing to say to somebody. Um, or when someone says to you, have a blessed day. A blessing has power. A blessing has real power. Um, it shapes. It can shape someone for a lifetime. What is the power of blessing? Well, think about this. What is the opposite of blessing? If you don't say bless you, what would you say? Curse you. There are other ways of saying it as well. We condemn you. That's a pretty awful thing to say. That's a, that's a, that's a powerful thing to say. Blessing is the opposite of condemnation. Blessing is the opposite of damnation. To give blessing is to give life, to give hope, to give possibility. And Jesus' teachings are full of ways to offer blessings. Now, to be sure, Jesus did have his words of condemnation. He did condemn people, and that's to be heard and to be known. He wasn't real fond of Pharisees and Sadducees, yes. But he also, even at the most basic level, wanted to offer blessings, wanted to offer life, wanted for us to live in that reality, in that joy, in that power. The Presbyterian minister and author Frederick Buechner has written, if we really didn't know but were asked to guess the kind of people Jesus would pick out for special commendation, that's a different word, you understand, commendation, approval, um, we might be tempted to guess one sort or another of a spiritual hero, men and women of impeccable credentials, morally spiritually and humanly in every way possible. If we didn't know any better and we knew Jesus was the Son of God, we would want to think that, we might want to think that, that those are the kind of people Jesus would lift up. But, but Beekner says, no, we would be wrong. Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture gives us in the Beatitudes a very different kind of presentation. He goes on. Not the spiritual giants, but the poor in spirit, as he called them. The ones who, spiritually speaking, have absolutely nothing to give and, absol or to give and absolutely everything to receive. Like the prodigal, for example, who told his father, um, I'm not worthy to be your son. And yet, when he did that, the father proves love in a very real way. Or, Beekner says, not the champions of faith who can rejoice even in the midst of suffering, but the ones who mourn over their own suffering because they know that for the most part they've brought it, brought it down on themselves and over the suffering of others because that's just the way it makes them feel to be in the same room with them. Not the strong ones, but the meek ones in the sense of the gentle ones. That is, not ones like Casper Milktoast, but like, this is the example he gives, Charlie Chaplin, the little tramp who let the world walk all over him, and yet, dapper and undaunted, shows somehow that the, 
you can make the world more human in that process. Not the ones who are righteous, but the ones who hope they will someday be righteous and in the meantime live in that tension. Not the winners of great victories over evils in the world, but the ones who seeing it also in themselves every time they comb their hair in the mirror are merciful when they find it in others. Not the ones who are pure in heart, to use Jesus' phrase, the ones who may, but, but the ones who may be as shopworn and clay-footed as the next one. Not the ones who have necessarily found peace in fullness, but the ones who just for that reason try to bring about whatever and however they can, peace with their neighbors, peace with God, peace with themselves. They are blessed when they are worked, they are blessed when they are worked over these people and cursed out on his account. That's what Jesus tells them. It is not the hard times to come, but theirs that are now with which he is concerned. Jesus is speaking out of his own meekness and mercy, the purity of his own heart. The Beatitudes are so much defining in Jesus' teachings. It has a way of turning everything on its head. This is to create a world that is filled with God's presence and hope, not the powerful and the haughty, but those who stand at the bottom of things and who can look up and live even in all of that tension with a goodness and a grace. All of the tools in our toolbox have their own particular purpose and function. They are to be used to aid as we live in God's world. The verse from Micah speaks it so clearly. What does the Lord require? It's a good question. Does God want all sorts of great sacrifices or extreme effort? What does the Lord require? To do kindness, to love, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. It's really not that hard, is what the Lord replies. You don't have to make elaborate offerings. You don't have to do all sorts of extraordinary things. You simply have to be true to yourself and authentic to God. When Jesus was asked what the great commandment was, he said, the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. He was quoting both Deuteronomy and Leviticus passages. And that is affirmed in several places in the gospel. To love God and to love neighbor as self. And this word from Micah comes to, to amplify that and to speak that as well. What does it mean to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? That's it. End of lesson. That is where we go. But sometimes when we live in the, in our, in the church and we live our faith, we, we want to do things so right that we want to take the tools that we have and find ways to push other people out. 
In fact, sometimes we take the tools we have and we use them not for building up, but we use them as weapons. Now, a weapon can be used to defend when you are attacked. So, tools that we need to use for defense are important. The Apostles' Creed came about as the, disciple, the early Christians needed to defend the idea that Jesus was the Son of God. Not everybody bought into that right away. The Ten Commandments were received to define and to defend what the children of Israel believed. The Lord's Prayer and the Beatitudes are parts of Jesus' teachings that teach us how to practice what we say and give us the strength of character and the strength of conviction that we are to go forward with that. At the same time, tools of faith have been used to coerce confession from other people. There are instances of such behavior from long ago in our history of the church. Think, for example, of what comes to your mind when you hear the word Spanish Inquisition. But there are other times that are more recent than that, and even in our own nation's past, where Christians of one kind have sought to impose ideas on those of another. Roger Williams was a dissenter from the Church of England. He came to the colony of Massachusetts in 1631, early on. But his understanding of what God was doing in his life and what God could do through the church didn't conform even with the Puritans who were in control, who were also religious dissenters. And it got so conflicted that the authorities, the civil and the church authorities, banished him in the middle of January, and he found his way and became the founder of the colony of Rhode Island. He is also the founder of what Baptists call their faith tradition in the United States. In the 1830s, Elijah Lovejoy was a Presbyterian minister and an editor of a religious periodical based in St. Louis, Missouri, 1830s. Lovejoy wrote and he preached about the abolition of slavery. The printing press for his periodical, The Observer, was attacked on three separate occasions in St. Louis, and so he thought he would move across the river to Illinois where things might be better. However, there were still people in Illinois, Christians, people who followed Jesus, who attacked him. And one night they came to burn the building where his press was, and so he went out to defend his property, which is what we do, and he was shot dead. By the time that the Puritans banished Roger Williams and the pro-slavery mob murdered Elijah Lovejoy, I'm thinking they, I have to think they weren't thinking. They were simply reacting in the power of that moment. They probably weren't putting together cases of theology at that point. But they were using tools that they knew to build the faith up as weapons, to exclude and to drive away. And as such, that's a 
cautionary tale for us because they have weaponized their faith in such a way that they advocated exclusion and violence. Tools, the tools we have for our Christian faith are to be used for building up. They, yes, need to be used for defending, but they are to be used for building up as well. This is a lesson for us today as followers of Jesus because there are lots of different ideas and opinions about what Jesus teaches. We still have these basic tools. The question that comes to us is, what do they say to us? How are we formed by them? And then how will we use them? To build up, to strengthen, to edify, to defend ourselves when necessary? That is my prayer, that we will use them in those ways. And we will recall the words of the law that Jesus came to fulfill. What is it that the law requires, that the Lord requires? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.